Welcome to the Aging Hipster Movie Show. This week, we went back to 1988 and rediscovered a forgotten blockbuster. Directed by Ron Howard, starring Val Kilmer, Warwick Davis, and a baby. This week, we watched Willow. It was a different time. It was a time of destiny. A time when a child could tip the balance between good and evil. Why, with my powers, with the strength of my great army, can you not find one little child? A time for an unlikely hero named Willow. Tell her I'm not gonna let anything happen to the baby. We gotta give that baby to somebody. I'm somebody. A time of scoundrels. What goes on here? Uh oh. And a time of rebels. You are great. of Star Wars and the director of Cocoon, Willow. So let's go ahead and meet the hipsters. Unfortunately, Toby is going to be gone for this episode. So we are bringing back Moxie LaBouche from Your Brains on Facts podcast. Thank you so much for pinch hitting for us, Moxie. What up, Dakinis? It's your boy, (laughs) Moxie LaBouche. (laughs) So excited to come on and talk about Willow. And I don't think this is a forgotten classic. I think this is a a cemented classic. Maybe. You know, I forgot about it. I think some <laughs> other people have, you know. And well, that's your misfortune. I guess that's my own misfortune. <laughs> yeah, I do have to give you a, a quick um, actually. Uh, he The star's name is pronounced Warwick. Anytime you see oh. a W in the middle of a British word, disregard it. Oh, Warwick. Oh, yeah. well, I'm just going to call him Willow from now on. So we only have to worry about that. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and then also joining us is our movie expert from Tim Monsters and Tape Freaks is Tim Holly. Hello. Hi. How's it going, Tim? Oh, it's going great. I got to watch Willow for the first time in a long time. I know. I know. And uh, we'll get into what we thought. think. We don't want to give away. We want our listeners to stay until the bitter, bitter end. <laughs> All right. Lorena, can you hear us? No. Can you speak? <laughs> you type it. You can hear it, but oh, oh no. I'm sorry. 
Sorry, Lorena. This is like a the the part in Titanic where like we're all Rose and Lorena's Jack or whatever, and she, and he's just floating down, floating down. How do you float down? I don't know, but he sure I, did. I ain't Rose. I'm not dropping like that that rock into the ocean at the end of it. No, I, I'm keeping that. I'm keeping it, and I'm not spending it on the grandkids either. I am. I am cashing that in, and I am going to Vegas. <laughs> Oh, that's that's so true. Oh, I'm so sorry, Lorena. If you can drop in later, please do so. All right. Tim, did you know that you're sponsoring us today? <laughs> I didn't until just now. Yeah, did you see it? <laughs> well, we are brought to you today by www.timmonsters.com. Um, so Tim, why don't you please tell us about everything that you have going on at your on your online shop? Uh, well, I just launched an e-commerce store with all my art in it. So I got screen printed posters and t-shirts uh, of various plush monsters that I make as well as like sticker packs and button packs. And then uh, I'm now officially selling all the design work that I do for the Mads of Mystery Science Theater. Uh, Trace Beaulieu and uh, Frank Conniff, the two of the original creators of Mystery Science Theater do a live riffing now, and well, I guess now it's live streaming. Uh, but I do all their movie posters and their T-shirts and stuff, which I now sell on my shop. Which is the first time that they're ever they're offering this stuff online. Before it was only at their live shows, but since live shows don't really occur right now, they're just they're doing a monthly live streams, which they just did the Tingler with Vincent Price a couple or last week, which they had uh, Vincent Price's daughter jump on, which was amazing. And next month, they're going to be doing a screening or a live stream of Walk the Dark Street, which is a more obscure Chuck Connors movie uh, directed by the guy who did Robot Monster, where it's basically a hunting humans uh, movie. But yeah, there. so I have a poster for that available on my, my site, all kinds of fun stuff like that. And you also have plush monsters. Yep. You plush. have picture uh, you have uh, t-shirts with film companies on them i have the golden harvest one mm-hmm. there's also a pretty awesome canon one which i i well there's there's this text thing that i'm a part of that paul Scheer is is uh the comedian is also part of it could or could not be paul Scheer, but he liked that he liked your design and i'm just going to assume it was paul because i've been <laughs> getting a lot of uh legal advice from him about podcasting so i can only assume it's paul Scheer. uh but there's a lot of really cool stuff there's a lot of cool screen prints on there there's uh that really sweet three the hard way one that mm-hmm. uh, I was trying to offer out as bribes to people, but they haven't taken it yet. I, I, I'm doing a lot of stuff on <laughs> your behalf that's benefiting me, Tim. So, well, thank you. Yeah, no, no, I, I full, fully endorse going to uh, Tim's website. That's www.timmonsters.com. He has a bunch of great stuff. Please go there if you can. And also, if you would like to sponsor this podcast, please email us or at aginghipsternetwork at gmail.com. Or give me a call or something. Or I'm just going to say that you're sponsoring <laughs> us and I'm going to like, you owe me money. There's, But if you did want to um, support the podcast, we do have a tea public shop. I, rem- I, found, I found our shop, Tim, which we forgot before. <laughs> yeah, right. tell, yeah, it's uh, tpublic.com. Look up the Agent Hipster. We have a bunch of different stuff. We've sold 17 articles of clothing so far. Hey, that's 17 nice. more than my yeah. um damn, I can't even remember what, <laughs> what site I use for my merch. That's how well it's selling. Uh, I just did last week. I know, I know. <laughs> I, I totally blanked. I just uploaded the aging hips uh the aging hipster season two 
artwork. So you can get that on a t-shirt, walk around 20 bucks and it will support your local podcast. All right. Before we get into kind of talking about the movie, let's kind of talk about our history with this movie. So I definitely remember seeing it as a kid because I, I vividly remember that part with the two headed dragon with the with the sword through it. And I was like, yes, I totally remember that. Tim, what are what do you recollect recollect about the movie? I remember seeing it in the theater. I remember and I remember catching it on cable a lot as a kid. Like I remember it was kind of on constant rotation in that era, like late nineties or or late eighties, early nineties. So yeah, I remember seeing it a lot when I was younger. But it's weird. It's one of those ones like in fact of the movies that we've been rewatching this season, it's one that I think I don't think I've seen it's probably since maybe like early 2000s i caught it like impartially on tv while i was on tour or something like that but like i don't think i've I sat down and actually sat and watched the entire thing in quite a long time and how about you maxi i can remember like a you know family movie night where you've got the blankets all out on the floor uh and the popcorn and you turn off the all the lights except the one lamp and make a whole evening of it family movie night of course for means two parents and six kids at my house so to get everybody to shut up enough for us to watch a movie is remarkable. And this this one, it just, it has everything. It's a real solid uh, hero's journey story with, you know, with a lot of heart, as they like to say. Amazing score, amazing actors, lots of fun tidbits I'm going to sprinkle throughout. It's just, and it it holds up. Not all the visual effects, it's so great. But it's every bit as good as it was the first time you watched it. You know, I, I forgot that Kevin Pollack was even in this as a brownie. That was pretty <laughs> oh, Him and Rick Overton. Yep. Yeah. And uh, Lorena says, I never saw it. I wasn't interested. During this time, <laughs> if I remember from uh, Lorena's past, she was going through and scamming people with some sort of like encycl- Encyclopedia Britannica scam that she's doing <laughs> to make money to go to the club and dance to Duran Duran. But... <laughs> Yeah, so she did not go see Willow like the rest of us. But let's get into it. Tim, what did we watch this week? Well, we watched Willow from 1988, uh, described as a young farmer who is chosen to undertake a perilous journey in order to protect a special baby from an evil queen. Uh, it's directed by Ron Howard and written by George Lucas and Bob Dolman. As like you said before, starring Val Kilmer, Warwick Davis, Joanne Whaley, and a whole cast of other recognizable fa- faces. Uh, and then, so I guess you you gave me some extra notes this time. So I film- know. So, so like, uh, so I've realized that Box Office Mojo, which has the most comprehensive like years, mm-hmm. is not really good with like the whole uh, worldwide box office thing so i decided just to pitch that yeah so i was just like i'm giving tim better stuff this week (laughs) instead instead of like instead of tim going like i don't know if this is really true at all yeah no that doesn't add up i don't know it doesn't make any sense to me uh so yeah the film was shown and promoted at the 1988 Cannes film festival and it was released on may 20th 1988 in 1209 theaters earning it 8,300,000 8,300,000 in its opening weekend, placing it number one at the bo- weekend box office. Lucas had hoped that it would earn m- as much money as E.T., and but the the film faced an early, competi- early competition with Crocodile Dundee 2, Big, and Rambo 3. 
Yeah, I know that Lucas was very disappointed with the box office and he decided he wasn't going to do sequels like he had initially planned and wrote a bunch of novels instead. Uh, so then it's grossing $57.3 million at the box office in the United States and Canada. It was not the blockbuster that insiders had anticipated. And the film opened in J- Japan in July and grossed $16.7 million in its first seven weeks. MGM, it was MGM's highest grossing film in Japan at that time. And it performed well in in other international markets, grossing eighty point three million for a worldwide total of hundred and thirty seven point six million, with a strong home video and television sales added for the profits. So yeah, I guess Lucas was really hoping it was going to be a smash hit, and it wasn't. It didn't meet his expectations, which is crazy because that's still a lot of money. That was yeah, still eighty eight. Yeah, and E. T. made about three hundred million. Right. But it stayed in theaters for like multiple years. (laughs) Yeah, that's true. And so I don't know like how much he expected to get out of it. I did not look to run down what exactly the budget was for the film. Let me see really quick. Yeah, as I say, my understanding is that he pitched it to a bunch of studios and a bunch of studios didn't want to have anything to do with it. Nobody wanted it. Because like fantasy films just had had a proven poor track record at that point in time. Everything was, every fantasy film was was a disappointment. So he got MGM to sign on because it was the head of MGM was the old head of 20th century Fox who he had dealt with, with star Wars previous. And he had given him some of the money, but like not all of what they wanted. I think the budget was like 30 million or 35 million or something like that. But that might be wrong. But like, I feel like that he had to split the difference with the, with the, the home video sales to make up the, the, the budget to get it off the ground. But yeah, the, I mean, I'm not. I can't remember if I, if I actually saw the actual budget, which is crazy. Like, uh, yeah, I mean, whatever. They didn't make more because it didn't make it made a shitload of money, but it did not make three shitloads of money like <laughs> ET. Right. You know? Yeah, it's like, oh, come on, come on, Lucas. Uh, but yeah, the top grossing movies of 1988 were Who Framed Roger Rabbit, Coming to America, Good Morning Vietnam, Big Crocodile Dundee Two, Three Men and a Baby. Die Hard, Moonstruck, Cocktail, Beetlejuice, A Fish Called Wanda, and coming in at 12 is Willow just before Rambo 3. Now, do you think, here's here's a here's a thought, is that in some, in some movies nowadays, even if it doesn't really do that well domestically, it might do like fantastic and overseas, and they'll just make another one. I think like Pacific Rim is a yep. example of that. Totally. Do you think at this time, do you, they just didn't have that mindset? They're like, Willow only did there yeah. is only 12 domestically, but even though it killed in Japan, like they just didn't really think that way. I mean, I would, you'd think that profit is profit no matter what era, but I do yeah. think that the, the, the mindset nowadays is much different with films like transformers, Pacific rim, even the fast and furious movies. Those make so much money overseas that like, they're just like, they're just printing money with those movies where like they do well in the, tw- in the, in the U S but they don't do like the crazy amounts of money that they do overseas. So maybe that was it. They just weren't taking into account how much it was making overseas. And maybe that overseas money was trickling in a little bit later, more delayed where it wasn't like, there wasn't like a wide release the same weekend across all countries, you know, like we kind of, or we, we don't quite have that still, but like certain films do. So I wonder if that was played a factor. Well, back into in 1980, we didn't have the Chinese market the way we do now, which right. is, and still more limited than people think it is. There's only a tiny number of movies that can be released in China. So studios these days actually 
set things up in the movies so that they'll play well in China because it's such a huge market, but it just yeah. didn't exist for us in 88. Yeah. The one that set up the, the craziest one I've seen, the craziest pro Chinese one I've seen is the great wall. That was a Chinese production. Yes. Yes, yeah. exactly. I actually, I kind of like that even though it was really bad, but <laughs> <laughs> you know, there's yeah. a bunch of aspects. Um, and God, what was that? What's that one that was an, it's an action movie. Is it called the wolf? Something wolf like warrior. Yeah, Wolf Warrior with Frank Grillo mm-hmm. as the bad guy. Yeah, and uh, I think it was yeah. Wolf Warrior Two broke like crazy amounts of like box office things, and it came in like number two worldwide like mm-hmm. that year, but like didn't do anything in the U.S. Like, I've never heard of it before yeah. this very moment. Oh, that's crazy! And then, um, and Hero was something. Wasn't that a little controversial because? The fu- have you seen Hero Moxie? Give me a little bit of a give me some context. I have, Lee, I, I may have, I've got, I've got pretty profound memory issues because I've been struck by lightning and oh, yeah. I'm going through menopause and I'm blonde. So <laughs> if I remember to put my underwear on before my pants, I consider the day a victory. <laughs> uh, it is a Chinese movie. It had Jet Li, Donnie Yen, Michelle Yeoh, right? No, Michelle Yoon. No. no, which one? Uh, Zhang Ji. Oh, was there like a big fight scene on like a raised platform in the middle of the? Yes, yeah, so they're going. Yeah, they're yeah. Like... So I, did, I did see that. I, that's the sum total of my memory of it, though. Yeah, uh, and but there was something like at the end where the big like reveal of why he didn't try to assassinate the emperor or something is like it was like all under one banner or something. And everyone got really kind of pissed off because they thought like Hero was just sort of uh, kowtowing to the Chinese government because mm-hmm. it was it wasn't being critical about. They're just saying, of course, we want one big government, you know. So. Yeah, and I, and I think that that was it. Didn't get U.S. distribution because of that, and it was only, it only got it only eventually got released here because of Tarantino, I believe. Like he picked it up Maybe. and released it through his like his distribution arm. But it was like one of those ones, like it was like a, such a huge thing movie overseas. But then it never like I think that there was like an issue with it getting U.S. distribution because of the controversy. Yeah, or I, I might be remembering that wrong, but I mean, it was still a badass scene between Donnie Yen and Jet Li. That was an amazing <laughs> fight scene. Anyways, uh, continue on. Nineteen eighty-eight, Young Guns. Yeah, which is amazing. That's a great one. And then you, I, I see you tacked on here that Big Top Pee Wee came in at seventy-one. <laughs> oh, that's a route right there. I mean, that's <laughs> that was for that was for Toby, but Toby was not here to talk about that. He's a big Pee Wee Herman fan. Is he a big? Is he a big Big Top Pee Wee fan? I think he's he's in. He's okay. all in. He's yeah. all in. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's but, awesome. But who wasn't all in on on Willow? Where a lot of the critics. So on Rotten Tomatoes, Willow got fifty percent from the critics. Got a fifty percent fresh score. Uh, audience score came in a little bit higher at seventy nine percent. The critics' consensus is state-of-the-art special effects and an appealing performance from Warwick. Warwick? Don't Is torture right? it. It'll just, you know, if it happens, <laughs> it happens. Mr. Davis. <laughs> Mr. Davis. That's right. You put yeah. respect on his name. Yeah. <laughs> Can't quite save Willow from a slow pace and generic story. Well, you know, the, the uh, r- director and the writer had a thing or two to say about the, uh, the critics. <laughs> both from, I think, their past work and anticipating the critics picking this apart mm-hmm. because the uh, the two-headed dragon monster demon thing, I'm sure this is in the notes later, uh, is named after Siskel and Ebert. Mm-hmm. Uh, General Kale is named after an absolutely just nasty-looking 
Um, and I mean, I don't mean she's unattractive. I mean, she just looks like a bitch. Um, <laughs> film critic whose, whose last name is, uh, is Pauline. Kale. Pauline, so Pauline. Yeah, yeah, they got yeah. their jabs in when they could. Yeah. yeah. And, and you know, it's crazy. And, and, you know, I was thinking about this a lot this week. And so I, my only note says George Lucas, because I can't think of any, any filmmaker that makes me, I guess, so angry and so happy at different, <laughs> at different times than George Lucas, you know, yeah. and there's other ones that, you know, I like, you know, there's, you know, uh, but for whatever reason, George Lucas has, um, maybe it's just like, like how old I was or whatever, but he, he has his formula. And I know that a lot of the critics were really kind of coming down at like, well, Oh, here's another story about some, you know, modest farmer, who has some magical powers that, you know, goes on this quest to defeat an evil something. But I don't know, like it's, it's, it still plays with me like incredibly well, you know, yeah. <laughs> it's still, it's yeah, still I did see one critic who said it was a, a ripoff of star Wars. And that's because star Wars is also a pretty basic hero's journey yeah. story. You can only dress them up so many different ways. It's the same six plot points. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But it, I think it's also, like the characters in here, like I, I really like, you know, I really like Willow. He's a very sweet, good, you know, good natured character. Mad Mardigan is, I love Val Kilmer anyways. And so <laughs> this is just even better. This is just it's like ultra Val Kilmer. And there's all those like really kind of silly stuff that you see in some of the George Lucas stories, you know, like, you know, there's kind of some of the Buster Keaton, like, you know, I don't know if that's, quite true you're our movie uh, expert tim so you can correct me but you know they have those kind of slapstick action scenes like in the castle where val kilmer just like comes out totally bedecked and then he like runs out there with all the other guys it's like that part in uh star wars where han solo is kind of running around and you know running after stormtroopers and he's running back yeah or yeah. they're sweating all- on the shield <laughs> yeah. mm-hmm. and so i don't know i just like you know it's just another yes it's another young farmer who finds a rogue with a heart of gold and they take and they go and they defeat the some big castle and stuff like that. And they're, you know, but you know, I don't know. Like I said before, I think I realized when they're in that snow scene and they're like going down hill on on the shield, I was like, Yeah, I just really like this movie. I'm just having a good time just watching it. You know, it's not like yeah. Flash and that's Gordon. What matters. Yeah, exactly. It's not like Flash Gordon where I'm I'm bemused by the whole thing, you know, and I'm just kind of laughing at the Thing. it's like oh i'm just you know i like the characters i have a crush on sorsha you know <laughs> and so all that yeah and so yeah um so whatever critics yeah what do they know <laughs> yeah exactly uh what did you think moxie have i not been gushing sufficiently <laughs> no maybe yes you have yes so <laughs> what do you want to gush about? in some way <laughs> yeah. oh did you have anything I, I don't do that you want to start the gush about? Well, I think the characters are all really, really enjoyable. You have your your anti-hero, uh, Mad Mardigan, who comes around uh, to the side of good. His interplay with Sorsha is fabulous, especially after, of course, the brownies are who, who we pick up along the way. Uh, and the the dust of broken heart. So he gets the love potion and he falls in love with their mortal enemy um of course there were things that even at the time i didn't love um but then there were things that i 
learned to love later on. Like the magic spells are actually just kind of random words, but they're words from Celtic mythology. The mm. uh, Tuatha de Danon, which is a spell you hear Willow repeat a lot uh, when he's trying to turn Finn Rizel back to her original shape. Those are uh, analogous to the Titans in Greek mythology, sort of the original pantheon of gods before the main one. Uh, and I'll just, you know, you know me, I will just go down this fact road and you will never <laughs> get this show back on track. <laughs> no, that's okay. Let's, let's keep on going, going then. Let's oh, indulge. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, it was the, the first movie to have uh, CGI morphing mm-hmm. in it when, when Finn Rizel is changing from animal to animal and her attempt to get back uh, her human form. It had the largest cast of little people actors ever assembled over uh, 240 by Warwick Davis's count. Warwick Davis, who was 17 years old yeah. when he did this movie, mm-hmm. y'all 17. Uh, he had to learn the, what's called the mid Atlantic accent, which doesn't refer to the part of the country I'm in, but to an accent that's not quite American, not quite British because the dumbass studio executives didn't think we could handle as, as a society we could make out an English accent like y'all. <laughs> is, so is that why so everybody Rob- else in the movie's English? Well, except Val Kilmer. But, you know. Hey, I have a question for you, Moxie, yeah. based on the accent question. So is that why in Robin Hood, Kevin Costner kept it no, simple? No, Kevin and Costner kept it just sucks. <laughs> you don't even need to finish your question. <laughs> Kevin Costner just sucks. But there are bootlegs of that movie out where someone has gone back and, and dubbed him. <laughs> with a British accent, and I'm sure that that is much easier uh, to watch. Because, I mean, even Christian Slater did a British accent half the time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <You> know, <laughs> he gave it a try. But they had Alan Rickman just sort of uh, carrying the rest of the water in terms well, of Well, because he uh, decided to play it. He decided to play it as a comic book villain. Mm-hmm. And that's why that character is so fun to watch. Because Alan Rickman said, well the hell with this. I'm just going to have fun with it. This, this is, this is, you know, hot garbage here. So might as well have a good time. And he just went, turned it up to 11. And that's why <laughs> the sheriff of uh, Nottingham, I said Rottingham sheriff of Nottingham <laughs> is so incredibly fun uh, to watch. Okay. So we're going down your fact trail. Well, I was got? trying to let you get control of your show back. <laughs> no, that's okay. Like, no, no, I've decided just to go with it. <laughs> okay. Uh, the scene where Mad Mardigan is released from the crow's cage, part of it lands on his foot. So you actually can see Val Kilmer limping uh, in another scene because it, it almost broke his foot. Uh, what else did I? Because of course I crammed, you know, before, right before the show. <laughs> yes, you know, I uh, something do, that do I learned in advance. Never, just the <laughs> yeah. fifteen minutes before the show are just fine. <laughs> I did not realize that Val Kilmer uh, got married to uh, Joanne Whaley, Sorsha. Yep. Yeah, after this, Sorsha. Yep, they, they were married for uh, for eight years and had two kids who have also gone into acting. See, that's why cramming really? in the 11th hour yeah. is good because all the information is still in your head. <laughs> well, yeah. not, not only did they meet on set, but Warwick Davis met his wife on set. She was one of the extras. There's just so much love there. We're just like, <laughs> how, yeah. how could anybody not like this movie? <laughs> well, it, it, it actually could have been a lot less likable 
John Cusack was considered yes. for Mad Mardigan. Mm-hmm. And no no shade on, on John Cusack, but this was just not not a John Cusack role. No, no. I, I can't see him being as physical as Val Kilmer what it would be like during the action scenes. You know, but, we're just, just really pulling off that personality. Mm-hmm. I, I can't say I've seen him with a ton of range. Well, he goes from, uh, I guess that's true. There's gross point blank John Cusack and there's high fidelity John <laughs> Cusack. <laughs> All right. What else do you got for us? Uh, okay. There was a, uh, a continuity error, actually kind of a cluster of them. The high Nelwyn, um, or Hildwin gives Willow three magic acorns, but we only see him use two of them. And after he uses the second one, we see he's he's out of ammo. There was there was a scene that was cut where he uses the second acorn. So what we actually see is is the third one being used, where he, they're in a boat in a storm, and he accidentally, in trying to use the second acorn, turns the boat to stone, which is generally speaking. Not a good material uh, in maritime circles. <laughs> so not only do we see not the correct number of acorns being referenced, we also see him with his hair wet for no reason. But mm-hmm. we all just kind of apparently either didn't notice or agreed not to talk about. Yeah, th- that sequence was super elaborate. They had like these wind machines and wave machines and they had them in this boat. And he Warwick Davis nearly drowned three times while filming that sequence. And then they cut it all from the movie. Yeah, and I imagine hugely expensive too. Oh, I'm sure. And then they, yeah, and they didn't even end up using it. I wonder if it's any of, in any like extended cuts or it's, or it's on the Blu-ray. There's a bunch oh. of deleted scenes on the Blu-ray you, you can watch. There's here. also a pretty important one with Sorsha, right? Mm-hmm. Tim, like the, there's a backstory that Sorsha, Sorsha's father was turned to stone or something yeah. in yeah. the castle, which kind of gives a little bit more constant context of why she would flip on the queen because I, I guess, you know, it's, you know, Val Mad Mardigan's pretty hot and all, but it's still not case story. Like, yeah, like, are, are you still going to go with him? You know? Right. So well, it gives a little bit more father, context. The father beseeches her to, to go with the good guys, mm-hmm. but I, I was satisfied with her motivation in turning on, on her mother. Cause her mom was a complete bitch that's usually what you want out of out of your your super villain um and her mother's ruthlessness and you get impressions that you get impressions of like the way her mother has treated her her whole life you know it would only have taken so much Mm -hmm. and in this case hot guy yep some Steve Gutenberg energy right there. That's for sure. <laughs> this again. Yeah. <laughs> the Goot. Um, Tim, do you have any pro- uh, production tidbits for us? Uh, well, I mean, we kind of covered some of it, but I guess that into a little bit more about the morphing effect that, that was like pretty groundbreaking at the time. They had originally considered trying to do uh, overlaid kind of transition to do that effect because that that whole concept hadn't even been done before. Uh, but uh, in- Industrial Light and Magic, like Lucas's company, was the effects team on this, and they're you know obviously in- innovators and have a long track record of doing incredible effects. That they had broken down. Uh, th- I mean, this is early days of CGI, like we've talked about with Blast Starfighter and Tron. 
before this, they had never taken actual physical shot effects on film, transported them into the computer, and then modified them inside the computer. So this was, that was a whole new process. But then they were writing coding that was a, to allowing them to do that morphing effect in that that scene, which led to uh, the effect in like Terminator Two with the the, the liquid metal and the uh, like the, the abyss like that same program basically transferred into using it in those those forms but in this one they were filming uh they created puppets like the puppet goat that had a stretchy neck that they could stretch out and then that that would morph into the the, the ostrich shape that they had created they filmed the tiger and they, they had the actress lay down and try and mimic the shape of the tiger and then tried to use the computer to to blend those images and nobody believed that they were going to be able to do it and they their team was able to write that like morphing effect uh in the computer and they coined the term morphing i guess in that in that regard uh which is pretty pretty incredible work that was what they i mean in that particular shot uh the other fun one was the uh the, that dr- two-headed dragon which is like obviously just like so incredible like this like you were saying it's one, one of the things you did remember that's totally like one of the main things i remembered as a kid uh that's the amazing work of phil Tippett, who's like a legend as far as stop motion and puppet work and just he works for he worked for ILM at that time, but you you've known his work for like Jurassic Park, and he did like the Ed two hundred nine and RoboCop. Uh, he did the uh, the chess scene in the original Star Wars. I mean, he's kind of like this like iconic effects artist. So like uh, obviously that that a particular effect stood out for me as a kid. Uh, and then uh, the, you were saying two hundred fifty little people in this be- vintage behind the scenes. They're saying it was more than two hundred or two hundred forty. They were saying it was more than two hundred fifty. But basically, they had to try and get every little person they could could get to that location at that time. Most of them were not actors. They were just trying to get anybody and everybody they could get to that could get to that location. I think they were filming it all in Wales at that point. Uh, There's a it was shot in Wales, New Zealand, and in England, but I'm not sure where. I can't remember where that those specific shots were. But a lot of those actors and uh, had been in. I mean, a lot of them were actors, but there's so many that weren't, which is like kind of an incredible feat in what they pulled off. Uh, and then the other thing that was interesting is that it's directed by Ron Howard, but it is very much so directed by George Lucas. Even in the behind the scenes, Ron Howard is like, yeah, I don't wouldn't call myself the director. I'm more of like the vice president of like organization and acting. <laughs> it's like you can clearly see behind the scenes where like he's like, yeah, we should do this, but we should start at this point. And then like George Lucas is like talking to him. And you can't hear what he's saying. He's like, okay, never mind. Let's just do the whole thing from the start. And it's like he's just clearly sort of a using Ron Howard. And Ron Howard's an, an incredible director, but it's very much so like the two of them collaborating to create what we saw on screen. Which is, so why why did George Lucas do this? Do do you know? I mean, he did. I mean, it's the same type of thing he did with Empire and Star Wars, Je- yeah. and Jedi. So, like, I mean, I think that he and I think he wanted more of the step back producer level. But then when it came to, he was always on set. He was always had a voice and an opinion you on what was going to happen. Not mess with it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So you that was just that was his thing. It. It's so he's strange. like yeah he's like oh oh Ron uh, yeah just you're the director just do what you want. Yeah, right. but, but but wait, hold on one second. Well, let's talk about that a little bit more. It's like well, I, I got a different idea. It's like, oh come on. He's but a yeah. passive aggressive <laughs> micromanager. Yeah. And yeah, I had I think- a, uh, another bonus fact about the the two headed dragon, um, Ebersisk. You know, which is named after mm-hmm. Siskel and Ebert. Yeah. You know how um, Ron Howard always puts his brother Clint mm-hmm. in all of his movies. Mm-hmm. He didn't. 
he couldn't really work Clint into this one. So one of the heads of the dragons is actually patterned on Clint Howard, <laughs> which sounds like both hey a nice nod and be like the biggest fuck you ever. But he like, usually does. I'm going to make this into, disgusting creature look like you. But he usually does put his brother into weird, disgusting roles. Like even like in like Solo, he's like the weird, like just like just dirty, like underground fight choreographer guy. Yeah, like, I mean, he's really unappealing greasy. and far and away and stuff like that. Yeah. <laughs> so he kind of like, always puts him in those roles, and it's probably just uh, yeah, a weird, fun th- joke that they have between them, I guess. And then we run into another uh, micromanaging producer earlier with Flash Gordon with Dino De Laurentiis. This is kind yeah. of the same thing where Very Dino's like, "Yeah, I found this guy to be the director, but <laughs> like, yeah. but it's just to do all the stuff that I don't want to do, which I guess is sort yeah. of up to them." But I do have to say, like, you can kind of tell, like, so we have a bunch of movies that were made by either people that are doing their first time or like in. Flash Gordon, the guy is like the eighth choice. You could definitely tell the craft is a little bit better yeah. compared to the other movies. For sure. You know? there's, there's definitely, I mean, and then you, having ILM as like your effects team, like you're going to have like a pretty slick production, especially for like eight. I mean, like obviously some of those, the effects are a little dated and stuff, but it's like for 88, that's like, I mean, it was crazy groundbreaking stuff that they were pulling mm-hmm. off. Uh, the other quick little tidbits I had was the, uh, the death dogs. Uh, those were Rottweilers in little rubber suits that they had running around uh, in the <laughs> wide shots. But then the close-up shots, they had created these like fully articulated animatronic puppets that were doing all this kind of work, which is like pretty amazing stuff. If you see behind, behind the scenes photos or footage from it, the stuff is like they, it could snarl, it could drool, it could do all kinds of crazy stuff. It was really, really elaborate. And then uh, I think we were talking maybe before we were recording. I can't remember if it was on the podcast so far, but James Horner's score is worth mentioning. Uh, it's an incredible and iconic score that uh, has been used like over and over and over on like all kinds of trailers and all kinds of like things. It's just been repurposed in every every imaginable way. Uh, so the people probably recognize the score even if they've never seen the movie. But that's not the only. I mean, James Horner is is notorious for that kind of stuff. Uh, the other one, other main one, is Battle Beyond the Stars. His very first score that he did for Roger Corman. That score he did for that is also in so many trailers, especially in the 80s. Any kind of space action film, it was pretty much going to use the James Horner score for Battle Beyond the Stars. And it's funny because James Horner, I would imagine, probably got hired on because of Ron Howard, who both came up under Roger Corman's production, because that was like where uh, Ron Howard did his first directing was under Corman. So I would imagine that that would probably there's some that that connection is definitely there. It's a pity we couldn't have had more James Horner scores. God, he did such good work. So, so, so solid. Like when you look at his CV, you're like, oh my God, yes, I did love all of the music in all of those movies. <laughs> yeah. yeah, every one of them is just so iconic. Why they keep on using this is just like they got the license to. Was he just making money off it or is it just... Maybe it's just that good. Just that universal. Well, so a lot of times when you're cutting, like especially when even cutting films, you'll use pre-existing music from other films that set the tone for the, I mean, and then there's a thing that happens called temp love where people fall in love with their scores. The most notorious one is 2001, a space odyssey where there was a, a Alex North score that was done for that movie, but Kubrick loved the, the classical music that he had cut the movie to and couldn't disconnect himself from it. So then they ended up using that for the film. Oh so dear, I Kubrick had to have his own way. Who could ever have foreseen that? <laughs> right. But I, I would imagine that sometimes these, these trailers are being cut as the films in production. They're using that cue 
because it fits the kind of mood that they're going for. And then they're like, well, let's just leave it. We just pay the licensing fee to Horner and use it because it just works too well. I would imagine that that's maybe how it started. And then maybe it became sort of a joke or something I, or like, or like, I mean, not like a joke, but like an inside kind of like, joke. Yeah. yeah like, I the mean, Wilhelm scream. exactly. And in this movie, there's a ton of Wilhelm screams. If you, if you were w- listening for it, there's like, a, like I heard at least six throughout Willow. <laughs> <laughs> and can you uh, talk about what the Wilhelm scream is? Uh, if at all in post-production, you should drop it in because anybody who hear, will hear it will understand exactly what it is. But it's okay. from an old Western, I believe, from yeah. like the 30s. Yeah. And, and it, it was a, just a, an audio, uh, audible scream of guys falling into quicksand, I believe. And then it's just been used over and over and over in films. Like, I mean, another famous one that George Lucas is when uh, Boba Fett falls into the Sarlacc pit. They use this oh. scream. That's the that's that scream that you're like Whoa! it's like this kind of weird shriek that kind of goes up and down. Um, yeah, you you would absolutely recognize it if you heard it. But it's in countless movies and TV shows. It's sort of a insider sort of yeah inside joke type of thing for it was production. inside, but now we all yeah know everybody it. knows it. <laughs> Thanks to us. Thanks to us. Now it's out there. <laughs> Doing our part. Yes, exactly. And I will put that in right here later uh anything else you got anything else what did you think of the movie tim after rewatching after about 20 years or so uh i like it i mean i i don't love it like you guys do i i definitely yeah. had fond memories of it uh i i think it's a little over long in my opinion but it's a it's a lot of fun i love all the set pieces i love the the performances by everybody in it uh and it's just it's a little I don't know. There's a, there's certain aspects that I don't I feel like dated poorly for me, in particular, like the brownies. I find to be a bit obnoxious after a little while. But that I mean, I, yeah, but my, that's kind of the point of them. I yeah, I mean, I, it and it was just one of those things where like certain things I think dated a little awkwardly. Where it was fun to rewatch it, and I really did enjoy the rewatch. But it was one where I was like, I wasn't as it, it didn't blow me away in the way that I remembered it being. I guess I don't know. I do want to say in defense of the brownies, I think they had the most quotable lines. Yeah. Because my uh, the sister next down from me is the one I'm closest to, and she and I would quote them often. My husband and I will quote them often. Things like, you are drunk. And when you are drunk, you forget that I am in charge. So that one, <laughs> like, we go that way. Or just to go, beer! You know, and I apologize to everyone who had headphones in uh, that just whose eardrums were just pierced like a stiletto. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, but the, the performances are great. And we were talking about the technology of the film. Uh, the brownies were kind of a nightmare because they had to be composited into mm-hmm. every single thing. So we have the morphing, we have uh, the compositing, just lots and lots of technology, well executed. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. Incredibly executed. And, but it didn't totally pay off at the end where you saw that Kevin Pollock is actually bald when he <laughs> yes. took off his hat. Like, after it's all worth it. It's a cheap oh, gag, and it it's totally worth it. Yeah. Speaking of bald, uh, the baby in the movie didn't have a head of hair because it was too young, and they couldn't use... Uh, they had to put a wig on it, but they couldn't use traditional wig glue, so they used syrup to stick the, the, the wig onto the baby. God, you guys suck. You took away... You, you've already yeah, answered two of, of my questions. questions. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, Let's go. see how many of them we can get before he asks us. <laughs> <laughs> but I can get them all. Oh, that's fine. Yeah, that, that's why I thought it was like yeah, syrup. I wasn't sure what they meant by, by syrup. 
because uh, I've I've dealt with a lot of adhesives um, as a, a in my former time as a burlesque dancer, mm-hmm. just from uh, wigs and pasties and stuff like that. So I, I would, I'm not certain what substance was reduced under the heading of of syrup. I would guess that it was like a caro syrup because they would like probably... maybe, but that's just gonna your stuff's gonna slide. I mean, it, yeah, it will, but I mean, you can, you can definitely like, dry it out and th- like thicken it a bit. Um, I mean, there's like, uh, yeah, no, maybe, maybe if you put like a cup, just like a little small amount mm-hmm. and yeah, then hit it, hit it with a hair dryer real quick <laughs> so that it gets tacked. Well, no, now I'm trying to work this out. <laughs> yeah, so what yeah. if you put just like a little small amount, I'm going to head downstairs into the kitchen and work this out. And then you hit it with a hair dryer for a sec yep. so that it's, it's tacky, mm-hmm. you know, and then, then stick the wig on. Uh, side bonus fact when it comes to, to filming with babies, when you, they are filming um, birth scenes and newborns and they got to put all the internal birth gunk on the baby. I forget the actual medical term for that. You can't put makeup on a baby. Mm-hmm. So they actually use foodstuffs, very commonly uh, jam and cream cheese. And it just smear it all over the baby. Oh, wow. <laughs> I, I did hear about this. So uh, they use twins for the babies. Yeah, always. For, for the baby. Yeah, because you switch them in and out. Mm-hmm. And I guess I, I read somewhere that they got too big. And so at the for like at the end of the production, they had to get another baby in. Mm-hmm. To, Probably. Yeah, they, there are also, depending on where you are, there can be very strict limits on how long uh, the baby can be actively filming, which is another reason um that you you know you do twins because when one's time is up you can switch out the other baby you also don't have to wait for the one to stop crying you could just oh, go yeah. and get her sister yeah like pull I, them out of learning how to read let's get them in right now i was gonna say dealing with a baby on set i can only imagine being a nightmare but they managed to get some incredible baby reaction shots that they cut throughout the movie like some of like the weird like cutaways to that baby like reacting to things yeah. that were going on or like how do they get these this baby to do so many things? <laughs> well, it could have been that they might have just like caught it as, you know, reacting to something else to whatever, like uh, getting Boo in um, Monsters, Inc. They just followed mm-hmm. an actual three-year-old around the room with a microphone mm-hmm. and then kind oh, of really? made her her adorable toddler gibberish fit That's where funny. they could. You yeah. know, it's you know, crazy that I thought I, I've always thought that Monsters Inc. did the best job of portraying the toddler. And no, now... they just used an actual <laughs> tiny toddler. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. It was the it was the one time where very briefly I considered maybe possibly wanting children. Well, was, I have was three kids. Them. I can send you one. And no, 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 don't no. Worry I've, about it. Don't worry I've, about uh, it. My... <laughs> I've had a hysterectomy. I'm all set. But, they, but these are already born. They're post. Yeah, no. I, while <laughs> I appreciate the convenience of an off the rack <laughs> model, uh, yeah. no, I fully believe that because I have five sisters, that my body, yeah. my my lizard brain says there are enough females in your herd. Yeah. You don't need to reproduce. I have no. No desire at all to have ch- children. I like to be an auntie. I like to mm-hmm. fill them full of sugar, teach them to swear, and send them home. Yeah. Though I do have to say, like they're lightly used, and you know, like <laughs> if I was trading them in, they might not be in excellent condition, but at least clean condition for using like the car trade in. Uh, yeah. Scale. No, I, I'm really not all that interested in the blue book value of your children because <laughs> I've, I've started um, 
in voiceover work and audiobook narration. And two of the two of the I've only done four books so far, and two of them about have been about child rearing. God help me. One about raising kids with ADHD, and the other one about spanking. So, you know. Oh. It was a it was a reasoned and balanced approach. I'll give him that. I expected to get halfway through that book and be like, "No, nah, man, here's your money back. Don't worry about it." Uh, but no, it was a no. Thank you. You may keep them. I'm good. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So let's talk about our favorite moments or characters of the movie. Can let we're gonna think about it for a second. I'll say I think shoot. There's so many that I like. I really like uh, yeah. Billy Barty coming through to be the. High, yeah. uh, whatever. High Aldwin. That, yeah, High Aldwin. Kind of coming in. Sort of magical. Mostly bullshit. A little bit of bullshit, uh, yeah. Yeah, most, yeah ig- mostly Ignore bullshit. the bird. Follow the road. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. And then it's like, oh, the bones don't tell me anything. Do you really want to go? Okay, everyone go. <laughs> you know, like, and I really liked him. He's hot off Masters of the Universe. Mm-hmm. Where Which he good. was... I would just say that this movie does a little bit better or does a better job of being a Masters of the Universe than Masters of the Universe did. Like, like the one main <laughs> henchman is totally like a, a Skeletor kind of mask on. And yeah. like, like the, even the Empress or like the whatever the Queen, like totally like reminds me of the Empress. Like of in Evelyn. Evelyn. Yeah, it's like. Yeah. It's I like, think wow. I think there's your there's your quote right there for your social for the social media posts is that this movie did a better job of being masters of the universe than masters of the universe did. <laughs> we've been looking at this film from entirely the wrong angle yeah. uh, <laughs> i wonder what it'd be like if dolph lundgren was in instead of val kilmer oh. like, i don't think he would have been in the crows uh like he would just been busting out of the crows uh the crows cage, cage. yeah no, that could have been he could have been he could have been good i haven't seen him do too much funny but yeah, I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't kick him out of bed for eating crackers. I'll tell you that. <laughs> no. they, they, it sounded like his bed was plenty full, especially when he was with Grace Jones, uh, Moxie, or Tim. Any favorite moments or characters of the movie? I was gonna say Billy Barty. He's definitely like a, a highlight and everything he pops up in. Um, so I've been trying to brainstorm. And I mean, I, I like I said, like I really love all the all the the main the main actors and main characters. That I can't remember the character's name of the skull face mask, but I love the Kale, look of General that. Kale. Yeah, that outfit is so. Oh, yeah, that's right, mm-hmm. Pauline Kale. Yeah, I love the look of that outfit and that that design of that his mask and everything. It's such a cool, iconic character. And that and that actor, what's his name? I don't, I don't remember his name. Uh, but he, Google. Yeah, <laughs> but he was also in Indiana Jones, the first one. He was the guy that was. Uh, <clears throat> he was the Nazi that was fighting with Harrison Ford, and they got hit by the propeller. I oh, believe that's no. the same guy. Okay, now or I'm, I'm going to look it up because that is possibly the best scene of that film. Uh, Pat Roach, yeah, that was. Yep, that he was. Huh, what if he's any there. relation to Linus Roach? Man, he was in a bunch of stuff. He was also in Red Sonia and uh, Conan the Destroyer. Anytime you need like some big guy, Pat Roach is there. <laughs> I love the '80s fantasy genre. It's just, it's my favorite place to be. Mm-hmm. That's that's why I was so excited when you emailed me. I'm like, hell yes, I want to come on and talk about Willow. <laughs> and, and, if, and if I had to pick, I, I think I'm going to give it to the Brownies. I know they annoyed Tim, but they were just the most <laughs> quotable. And they had the hijinks. Like, mm-hmm. all you did was hang around and eat our eggs. You know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And so, do you think Mad Mardigan, is that one of the best character names of all time? It's right. really good. 
It's yeah. pretty, That's pretty why I, I do notice someone has updated his Squadcast screen name. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's definitely one of those things where I was like, man, I would really like to have that name. Bob Mad Mardigan. That would be pretty good. <laughs> Mad, Mad Bobigan. <laughs> yeah. Bob Mardigan. And, you know, I don't really have too much left. I mean, other than I guess I did kind of, I think we already talked about Mad Mardigan and Sorcia being hot. Oh, yeah. That's 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 a given. Uh, the Nelwyn, you know, they are kind of a bunch of wimps. Willow's great, but you got the Burgle Cut or whatever, who's <laughs> you know, what what's his name? Yeah. And yeah. they're all really ready just to throw that baby into the fire or whatever, into the pit, into the pit, into the pit. <laughs> yeah. You know? <laughs> well, they they know that they're small and they know that there are true. big, you know, much bigger people than them around. And and if even a small army of Daikini came to their village, they're toast. So as as a small person, though uh, not, you know, dwarf, mm-hmm. uh no. You know when to hold them, no one to fold them. I guess that's true. I guess Take your true. battles. I did I did love that all that opening stuff in their village and like all the that whole like group of people and stuff. I really did like those scenes I thought were really great and pretty like really. I love how he's plowing his field with a pig. Yeah. And everything he scaled scaled down like that. Yeah. And, yeah. and oh, did, what's that one kind of cut? Because I definitely noticed that a couple times. They did the Lucas cut. Did they do oh, that kind yeah, of? Yeah, that wipe. Yeah. The, the wipe. Yeah. yeah. Is was that what's a do you get? Is there a term for that, Tim? Do you yeah, know it's George Lucas no? wiping his dick all over it. <laughs> just, I mean, it's it, like it, it's totally a throwback to the old serials type thing. I oh, think yeah. is like what he's got going for, but. It's definitely, it's just a George Lucas staple. I mean, he, he uses it so much. <laughs> it's like Ron Howard's like, I want to go get some lunch, uh, George. I'll be right back. And George is like, like okay. Wipe, 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 wipe. There are wipes other than star wipes, Dad. <laughs> I'm taking oh. my name off this. It is trivia time. As you know, I love quizzes, tests, and other such stuff. This week, we have trivia from the production of Willow along with some other stuff from 1988. Question one, the pigs outside the castle were doing something that was really bothering the cast and crew. What were they doing? Moxie. I have actually raised pigs back when I had a a goat farm, and they want to see if everything in their surroundings is food, including people. So I am going to say that the pigs were like trying to nibble on them. Tim. Uh, if I I feel like I know this but from the behind the scenes thing, but I think they were having sex. I think the pigs kept trying <laughs> oh to have God, sex yes, with each other. Oh my God, yes, that totally would be. <laughs> my first thought was actually that they were trying to get into the craft services. <laughs> well, uh-huh. yeah. Nope, they were having sex. <laughs> they were just having <laughs> sex out in the, in the field. I guess they were going out with buckets of cold water, just throwing buckets. <laughs> so, uh, that's pretty funny. Uh, question two was, how old was uh, Mr. Davis when he shot this movie? He was 17. His his children, quote unquote children in the movie, were only about 10 years younger than him, 10 mm-hmm. or 12 years younger. I'm not, sh- I'm not sure about the actress who played his wife. Uh, probably a little bit older. Yeah, but, I was gonna, I was going to refer to him as fresh faced, but yeah. honestly, his acne 
cause some continuity errors that that bug me when I rewatch it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he was what like twelve when they were filming Return of the Jedi when he was Wicket. Yeah, I think so. It's crazy. <laughs> I I need someone just to be like I'm going to make you a star like just <laughs> George Lucas just like I'm going to isn't that kind of what happened well, he's just supposedly like supposedly he wrote this for mm-hmm. Warwick Davis yeah who was going to call it Munchkins originally mm-hmm. and oh thank not- God cooler heads <laughs> prevailed well yeah. I'm pretty sure like legal would have been like uh, yeah. no. <laughs> be copyright infringement well i definitely appreciate that George definitely wanted to he did this deliberately because he wanted to do something outside the norm, right? Give uh, little people a little bit mm-hmm. of exposure in terms or, or opportunity where they might not have before. And make them make Warwick Davis the hero of the movie. Yeah. Like, not that he doesn't rely on other characters to like, to be like the heroic thing at the end. Like he, he, he is the hero. Like he, like yeah, that's the focal point, not yeah. just a little side thing. Right. Not just, yeah, not just like, a, and not, uh, and not playing it for humor either. Right. No. All right. Question three. All right. I'm going to give you uh, the top five songs of 1988. They are not in the correctly ranked order. Give me the order you think that they were in. So it's like Billboard. Billboard Hot 100 for the year of 1988. First one, Rick Rowland. It's never going to give you up by Rick Astley. Number two, Sweet Child of Mine from Guts and Roses. Third is Faith from George Michael. Number four is Need You Tonight by NXS. And number five, Got My Mind Set on You by George Harrison. I love that video. <laughs> the, little, the little stuffed squirrel mm-hmm. playing a pipe mm-hmm. for a saxophone. So we got to put them in. Tim, why don't you go first? We got to put them in order yeah. from one to five. Yeah. Oh, man. I'm, I'm just going to wild guess here. So I'm going to go George Harrison. George Michael. I, are you are you going top down? Yeah. Or bottom well, up. Um well I'm going, yeah, I'm going George Harrison to one, okay. George Michael two, Rick Astley three, I guess Guns N' Roses four and in excess five. I don't know, yeah. <laughs> they were all huge hits. Oh yeah. No, they were. Um, I'm going almost the inverse of that because I'm mm-hmm. going to give um, I'm going to say GNR one. Uh, let's go George Michael two. No, she I'm, so, Michael. I'm so torn on this. Like my brain has so many justifications for all the mm-hmm. possible permutations here. Uh, let's. Oh, I don't like any of the answers. <laughs> yeah, let's right. let's go. Um, Why was that? <laughs> George Harrison. Three. Wait, didn't she say he was two? No, she said George Michael. George Michael was two. Oh, okay. I'm sorry. So George Harrison, like, I think in excess is five, regardless of, <laughs> of how much I enjoy that track. It's great. Um, I loved in excess back in the day. Mm-hmm. I'm maybe, not even maybe, sure why. Uh, I don't know. I'm not, it's not going to get any better. So let's just go with that. All right. Those are really good. Really good. Uh, and I don't know how to score this, but we'll just go through. <laughs> All right. Number four is Never Going to Give You Up by Rick Astley. I think that was my number four. Yeah. Is it? Oh, great. Okay. Number three, Got My Mind Set on You by George Harrison. That was my number three. Also, my dad's Holy cow. Wow. Number two, 
Need You Tonight by NXS. Oh, we both felt that. I know. That's a lot bigger. So the number one song in 1988 was Faith by George Michael. Huh. Well, where was GNR? Five. Third or fifth. I was leaving it as like kind of the hanger. It's the, (laughs) you know. Really? Yep. Oh, which, is, which is crazy, but it's still it's still impressive that they got to number five. I mean, still five. Five is good. I just I just yeah. thought. Hmm. Of you course, know, I, I heard... had to share a room with my older sister, and she was all in in love with Axel. So oh, it was really? a, probably a bigger part of my day than it was other people's. Oh, it's it's pretty impressive. Like George Michael actually is the only one that has a couple songs in the top twenty. He also had one more try, which was number eleven. Let's see what else. Oh, is this love from White Snake number seventeen? Oh, that's a good one. Anyways, <laughs> that's number one in our hearts. Okay, uh, we already dis- we already answered question four because we just uh, stuck the baby's fake hair with syrup on their skulls. I'm gonna have to try that with my kids. All right, number five. This is not a Willow question. Nineteen eighty-eight saw the premiere of some TV shows that hit us straight in the cultural solar plexus. Now, this is going to be a pretty nifty tie-in, Tim. I'm doing a whole bunch for you. I'm just like doing alley-oop, alley-oops back and forth. <laughs> Mystery Science Theater 3000 debuted in 1988. What was the original name that they wanted to go with? This is all you because I used to know it, but it's in, it's 404. <laughs> I, I believe I know the answer, but I'm not. Was, I, okay. I, I believe it was Mystery Science Theater 2000. It is correct. Oh, yeah. Joel Hodgson is like, that's not quite... Not quite futuristic. cool enough. Yeah, futuristic <laughs> enough. Yeah. <laughs> Question six. So there's a bunch of stuff. I think it's just because of the age I was. 1988, There's. I was just looking at all these uh, TV shows, and TV is obviously different than it was. I was like, oh, there's all these TV shows that came out in 1988. I'm going to go through some of uh, the shows that, debu- that debuted in 1988, and you guys are going to tell me which had the highest ratings for 1988 and through 1989. Oh, good. I was nine years old. I'm sure I watched all of these. <laughs> I know. I, I definitely remember. Like, remember Dear John? Mm-hmm. <laughs> With I remember Judd Hirsch? it. Yeah. No, wait, not Judd Hirsch. What's his name? Was, right? that, was, but that was, um, now you're, no, that was, yeah. China was, Beach with Dana Delaney, right? It was about Vietnam, wasn't it? Yeah. That, yeah. She was a nurse in Vietnam. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Murphy Brown, the very scandalous single mother. According to Dan Quayle, <laughs> uh, Roseanne, and The Wonder Years. Mm, it's got to be. Well, I think we can discount Dear John and China Beach. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, I guess that's kind of. <laughs> well, I mean, they were popular, but I just don't think in that company that uh, that they're going to rank. Yeah. So The Wonder Years, Murphy Brown, and Roseanne all came out. Swinging, I I'm feel like I, my gut says Roseanne, but I I don't know. I feel my my brain like I was thinking, yeah, between Murphy Brown, Roseanne, and Wonder Years, but kind of leaning towards Roseanne or Wonder Years. But I'm gonna go with Wonder or go with Roseanne. Yeah, apparently we apparently we've teamed up. Let's go <laughs> with Roseanne. That we should is, have a good time. Yep, that is true. It was number two, which I think was right below like 60 minutes or something. Okay. But yeah, it was Roseanne. Some other shows that came out. Uh, remember Red Dwarf? Yeah. From yeah. BBC. I loved Red Dwarf. Oh, yeah. I, I remember it was on, it, 
what's that like Hulu or something like for about five years, I would just go to bed watching red dwarf, you know, <laughs> it was just like, like, I don't even know really what happened. I just really liked the whole thing. Yeah. Um, some other ones in the heat of the night, oh. empty nest. I like uh, that one. Uh, it was a uh, golden girl spinoff actually. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. Yeah. Kids in the hall debuted in 1988. Oh, yes. So good. Um, Freddy's Nightmares. What the hell? <laughs> no, yeah. seriously, I have no recollection of that. What is that? That, that was the oh, Freddy Krueger show. It was, a, it was to compete with the Nightmare on Elm Street or the uh, Friday Just the 13th show. No. Oh, yeah. Uh, they were both, but they both came under fire with the Christian uh, like parents. Say no more. So, yeah. Got, they got pushed to like late night and then got canceled. All right. I got I to gotta look into those because yeah. I, I vaguely remember the there being. Like the Friday the Thirteenth show, I kind of remember the title card for it. But it had I, nothing I, to do no, with Jason. It. it was like a that I think that one was like a weird like oddities like uh, like antique shop, and each thing was like each story revolved around like an item or something like that. I haven't seen it since like back then, but yeah, it was it had nothing really to do with Jason. It was like using Friday. So the they just 13th. had kind of an outer limitsy kind of show, and they yeah. slapped the license that they thought would sell yeah. on it. <laughs> yep. <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and then Chippendale's Rescue Rangers, which I remember loving <laughs> mm-hmm. the heck out of. Oh yeah, there uh, we go. Well, go ahead. Speaking of television shows, I saw on IMDb. I don't know how accurate it is, but Warwick David is is accredited in a uh, newly announced Willow TV series where he's going to reprise his role as Willow. I mean, that could easily fall apart, but it is credited on IMDb right now, and that was the first I'd heard of it. <laughs> oh, I mean, Not- Hope Springs Eternal. Yeah. yeah. Not surprised. I, just, I, I wonder if they're going to, to bring back Mad Mardigan because, um, you know, time makes fools of us all. And Val Kilmer doesn't look quite like he did back then. And mm. also he has a, an apparently well-earned reputation of being unbearable to work with. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if we'll see Mad Mardigan <laughs> yeah, in right. any sort of continuing <laughs> properties. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you so much. We are getting into our rankings. So we're going to rank our heroes in the following categories. Beefiness, charisma, and hair. And so we're, it's going to be a little bit hard with Willow for beefiness. Um, I don't want to be overly cruel or anything. I think um, I will just go with it. <laughs> just, Mr. Davis, if you're listening to it, like... I'm just going to... Uh, Mr. Davis, if you're listening to our show, it's all his fault. It's all my <laughs> fault. And I'm sorry for this very uncomfortable pause. Okay. And if you wanted to sponsor us, that's okay. So please sponsor us. Uh, so, Oxy, let's rank Willow. Charisma, hair, which was a wig, by the mm-hmm. way. That was not his hair. It was, it was nice, though. It looked so soft. Just, just like the baby's wig. It was beautiful curls. Uh, I had no idea that was a wig. So that's that's a fact yep. that I learned. Ooh, it, ah. it looked like <laughs> nice curly hair. Uh, so full marks on the hair, even if it's fake, still counts. You know, you can still touch it. It's real enough. Mm-hmm. Um, sufficiently charismatic. Let's uh, let's give him a five out of that. And you know what? I'm not going to rate him on beefiness. I'm going to rate him on cuteness. And he gets Ooh. a solid five. Oh. No argument will be will be uh, will be listened to on that one. I'll accept it. I'll accept the substitution. He is 
he is very I don't know what the right word. I totally screwed that He's up. He's a cutie patootie, I believe. It's the technical <laughs> exactly, term you're looking yeah. for. All right, Tim, what do you think? Uh, I'll give that wig a four. Uh, charisma, five, for sure. And then, yeah, the beefiness, um, I guess, I don't know. It's like, yeah, I'll give him a three. I mean, he's not, he's doing, he's doing what he can with. Yeah. With, yeah. St- Stop digging, old boy. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay. So for me, for Willow, for Willow, I'm going to give him a four because he is very fast. He was just running. He was sprinting all over the place. So I think that he has to be in pretty good shape to do that. Uh, charisma, I think that's also another, I think probably five. The And I'll give his wig more of a three. And so altogether, that gives him a score of 3.25 which puts him ahead of Kevin Flynn from Tron from last week, a little bit behind Flash. Oh, man, we were just so taken with Flash. <laughs> like, it's crazy. Like, his hair, and he's just Sam Jones. Even though he wasn't even, like... <laughs> Half of it wasn't even him. <laughs> yeah. It's just sort of like know, um, Brian Blessed is doing a podcast. It's not It's not out yet, but Brian Blessed is doing a podcast. He's reading bedtime stories. Oh, my oh, God. Yes, yes. Uh, I've I, seen... I am here for this. Yeah, uh, we oh, have that. I don't know. I'm, I have to get my dog in one second. <laughs> I love Brian Blessed. Oh man, he's yeah. so great. He's so funny. I love him in Flash Gordon. <laughs> I love him in just everything. Just every yeah. everywhere he shows up, it's like, hey, yeah. it's Brian Blessed. <laughs> Whatever I'm watching just got twenty percent cooler. Right. But yes, it's called Moshi, and Brian Blessed is on there along with Goldie Hahn. Um, and Patrick Stewart, and hmm. they and they read uh, bedtime stuff, and so yeah. Well, no, this is this is a separate. Oh, new thing, really? Yeah, it's a oh, new thing. no way. More Brian Blessed goodness in the world. <laughs> so great. This is pretty funny to see that one article that we found from the Guardian that said that the Queen of England's all-time favorite movie is Flash Gordon. <laughs> <laughs> that they She's watch it every week. No, apparently Queen is like her favorite band. No, but actually, I, I must say, I did learn recently her taste is not beyond reproach. Mm-hmm. At one point, I have it on good authority at Balmoral Castle in Scotland, where, you know, she sort of goes to, to relax. She had six big mouth Billy Bass and one singing lobster. What? <laughs> <laughs> the Queen of England, Elizabeth Regina II, who also owns all of the whales and dolphins in British waters. And if you catch one to eat it, you have to offer it to her first. What? No. Had in Balmoral Castle, because somebody gave her one as a gift, and she just loved it, six big mouth billy bass plus one lobster uh, spinoff. That's the crazy. Lobster. Oh yeah. man, that's crazy. It is crazy. So she's probably like in this really weird room with all these Billy Bass and lobsters watching Flash Gordon. It's all in one room, you know. So that's so that's pretty. Yeah, that's crazy. Everybody thing needs with Flash, hobby. I know. And the thing with Flash, it's like so campy and erotic. It's like it's like that sounds pretty uncomfortable like sitting with prince charles you know and camilla as they're just like going through that but hey i mean it's their it's their family tradition 
every every Christmas. All right, let's get into the Queen. Oh, oh no, sh- go ahead. Queen, uh, the Queen's Christmas tradition. You have to be weighed before and after Christmas dinner. What? Yep. This it started with um, Henry VIII, who was concerned that his guests weren't eating enough. So and she's, and it's just a tradition that's been kept up, and she keeps it up to. Oh no, they have very set specific Christmas traditions. Like I thought, my family was very by the book, lockstep. We do it this way every year. We got nothing on Liz. Oh my god, that's crazy! I bet Henry the Eighth would have really liked uh, Flash Gordon too. <laughs> oh. All right, so let's get into the, our final, the villain we're ranking on t- in terms of competency, organizational skills, and clothes. The queen, what's her name? Shoot. Bad Morda. Bad Morda. All right, Moxie. What do you think? She was doing really well until the very end. Yeah, uh, she's so, killing all those uh, mothers, those all those pregnant women. Yeah, she's killing good. all those babies like you do, you yeah. know. Uh, it was. Hey, it's tricky when there's a prophecy, man, mm-hmm. you know. Um, and, and this one, she didn't cause, you know, a self-fulfilling prophecy. She was, she was being proactive at it. She had good people that she could delegate to. So that's high in organizational skills. She didn't put together any overly complex plans or monologue uh, excessively at our heroes. She was dressed like Mumra, though, <laughs> at the <laughs> end. So she is going to lose points there, but I will actually balance that with general Kale's uh, overall aesthetic to kind of give her some points back by association. So I'm going to go five, five and three. Okay. You know, the one thing about that, um, that the it seemed, it took, it seemed like it takes a while to do whatever thing that they're doing with the baby. Then it just that's the only thing. It's like couldn't it have gone quicker. I mean, <laughs> we get like the lightning or whatever they're trying to do. It just seemed like it just took a little bit too long. It took like over a day because hey. they were bes- besieging that castle. Sieges take time, yeah, and also, a- how often do you get? Wait, this just occurred. To me. How often do you get two older women in a Ooh. pivotal? fight scene this is very important representation she says 41 years old and running down the clock faster than she can keep up with yeah. <laughs> tim what did you think about our our queen bath morda uh i'd say competency she's pretty solid i mean she i mean pretty much almost does what she needs to do and she doesn't really slip up too much so i'll give her a five there uh as far as organization goes Pretty solid. I mean, I think Kale definitely like adds a, a, a you know an element to that, which I really I, I already have already professed my love for. So yeah. I'll give her maybe like a four in uh, organization, and then the outfit uh, and I don't know, man. She like basically turns into the emperor at the end. I mm-hmm. mean, so it's like she's it's pretty. She's got a pretty sweet look to her, but I don't know. I'll, I'll give her another four. So pretty overall, high pretty, pretty pretty solid. Oh yeah, definitely. Um, oh shoot! And so I decided to give her a four in competency, four in organization, and a three in clothing because, like you said, she actually was a pretty good uh, villain compared to some of these other jokers we've seen. Um, so that gives her actually. You know what? I totally screwed up my spreadsheet here. Just a second. Just a second. 
because now we have a new score for Willow, which is actually a 4.33. Yeah, I, I was wondering about the math, but I'm Spread. new here, so I just... No, that's okay. Like Because I I left a bunch of zeros. It's, it's a spreadsheet thing. I forgot I added a bunch of zeros because there's only three of us. But that means that Willow gets top marks for all of our heroes. And the queen herself gets uh, a score of 4.11. And so both of them are at, wait, she is just below Ming the Merciless. Ooh, Ming knocks her down. So she's second. But Willow it has a pretty definitive win here. And so, yeah, I think we all agreed that we like Willow. The queen did a good job. We had a really good time watching the movie. And I had a really good time talking about this with you guys. Thank you so much for being on. Mm-hmm. Thank you so much for inviting me on. Yeah, my it is completely my pleasure. And Tim, next episode is our season finale, where we <laughs> for season two we're going back to crawl. Oh boy! Oh my god! Yeah, this is. Uh, I don't know. I haven't seen this one probably in like twenty five years. Yeah. I remember I, I had the book for this though. I think I read the book more than I watched the movie. So <laughs> I have so many opinions on factoids about crawl. Uh, maybe you can. Maybe you could uh, tag can me in write? if there's any kind of technical problems. Will. Or, or will you write some? Can you write some and we'll read them or something if you have time. No oh, big no, no, deal. Dear. It's a package deal. <laughs> <laughs> if you if you want the brain, oh. you gotta have well. the whole thing. Well, we'll see. We'll see uh, what's going on with Toby. Uh, and I will let, definitely let you know if we have an opening for next week with Crawl. But yes, we will be back throwing whatever that glaive is. Right? It's a, it's a glaive. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> the, the, the exaggerated nerf boomerang that <laughs> that is just like the worst worst Chekhov's gun ever because it shows up 10 minutes into the movie and he doesn't use it until 10 seconds from the end. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Oh man. Uh, so that's going to be a lot. That's going to be a good, uh, good time. And so thank you guys for coming on tonight and thank you for listening to the aging hipster movie show. This show was written by Bob Serrano and Tim Holly produced by edit and edited by me, Bob Serrano. The theme song was written by kid mental. Please check us out online. Join our Facebook group. Go to www.theaginghipsternetwork.com. Find me on Instagram, the aging hipster. I think and then I'm on Twitter I'm not that much on Twitter I can't keep track of all the social media stuff uh, coming up I I am going to be doing uh, a, the boys recap show I hope for the next for season 2 so stay tuned on all the my social networks that I do not keep up with and hopefully I'll get that stuff out there so thank you for listening and have a great night I do that, I'm